time, time can be cruel and seemingly inconsistent. It can move curiously fast and then be locked into a pile of goo, slow motion, bored stiff, and then where did the time go? Where did the, how, what, it's what, it's what time already? Um, youth conference is kind of like that for me. I know we have uh, quite a few students already registered and going to youth conference, and man, I, those times for me were just awesome, crazy fun, great worship, fantastic preaching, and hanging out with your Christian friends, like goofing off, and, uh, and um, yeah, it was the best. So there's still time for you to go to uh, sdag.org, that's South Dakota, uh, that's S-D-A-G, South Dakota Assembly God.org. And you can register with our team. There's all kinds of activities, events happening for the weekend. And I know we got lodging already set up, and our team worked on it last weekend to get all the details going, get people registered, and there's still time for you. So that's kind of a commercial at the same time as reality. Like ha- those were amazing moments I- in my life as a young person and then as a youth pastor. Like, feeling like I'm taking these students, but, man, I'm into this. Like, this is just an amazing challenge from the Lord and fantastic worship. And so I was always all in and felt honored uh, to get to go and be a host or, you know, a chaperone. Uh, I've been known to get caught up in video games a, a time or two in my life. Next slide, please. One time. <coughs> oh, wait. I'm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for waiting, because I have a different slide in here, and I f- it's not on there, but you're good. I've been known to get caught up in video games a time or two, <laughs> and one time Pat and Off and I were playing this Atari baseball game, because when it came out, I mean, these, these were like virtual, look at that, 3D, look at that, like those are real players, like, and, and the, the c- controller had a button for each of those. So when you swung and hit the ball, you had to select that player, and then that player could move. Those, those I mean, look at the graphics on that. That was like breakthrough technology. We felt like we were actually in the game, catching the ball, hitting the ball. It, it was just an amazing feeling. Uh, the players looked real. You could, you, could, you could smell the grass. You know, you could feel it. They looked real. Don't they look like real aliens, potentially? Anyways, like I was saying, Pat and I played all, we played this Atari baseball game, and we started in the night, and I, I had a little disadvantage because it was his game system. You know what I mean? Like when you're trying to learn somebody else's game. But back then, I was a little bit more immature, and I was a little more competitive than I am today. The Lord has healed me of that completely, and um, but Pat, we were so competitive, and I was like, I can get the hang of this, and all of a sudden, it's, you know, 7, 8 p.m., and I'm like, I can get this. I can get just as good as him, and I'm, I'm using my thumb, and you got to pick that guy and throw it, and he was stealing bases on me like crazy because by the time I'd throw it over there, he was over to the next one, and I couldn't figure out. I was, man, I was chewing on my lips, and, you know, and I, seriously, like three or four in the morning, I started to get like blisters coming in on my thumbs, you know, until until the other people that lived in the house woke up 
the sun came up, we were still playing, and other people were waking up, and they looked at us and said, you guys are crazy, you know? There's a little line from Metro Libre. To me, you know, a former, a former game addict in my generation, it was looked at as kind of like a disease. Today, they call you a gamer, and you get, like, street cred for it. You know, like, it's potentially a career for you. Um, you know, times are changing. But when you love a game, you know, I think all of us, no matter what age, there was a time when we, we loved a game, and, and time would just fly by, you know, a half a day. And uh, there's quite a few guys in, at, at Bible college that we played Risk, and we I remember playing Risk, like, through the night. But since we were all studying to be ministry, we didn't really like killing each other. So we said the risk board that everybody was a different religion and we were trying to convert you. So we never really we never killed you. We just converted you to our religion. And we're trying to get everybody worshiping the same God all together on the planet. So it was a very peaceful kind of endeavor as we killed one another. I mean, converted one another. Solomon, in his inspiration of the spirit, said there's a time for everything, right? A season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. Some of these phrases jump out in this chapter. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to tear, a time to mend. Every one of these statements, we've been working our way over the last few weeks through through uh, the book of Luke, and we're, last week we're in Luke chapter 8, and this week covers uh, all the themes of that Solomon is speaking here. Every one of these statements can be seen in Luke chapter 8. Verse 40 covers two shifts, two, two breakthroughs for people. A time uh, that unfolds over 12 years for both these people. For two people in the Bible. Two amazing miracles. One that couldn't happen soon enough. And the other that looked like they were stuck in a time loop of suffering and suffering for month after month, crying out to the Lord year after year after year until her encounter with Jesus. Because time means something different at the same time to two people walking through it. 12 seconds, 12 minutes, 12 hours, 12 days, 12 months, 12 years. Because sometimes, like, nine seconds, right? It takes eight seconds to, to, to get a full score or potentially a score for a bull rider. And I'm sure to a person, you know, on a raging bull with their arm stuck in there, and, you know, I'm sure that that eight seconds, nine seconds is like a really long time as they're risking their life in these moments. Other times, nine seconds is like that, an Olympic Sprinter, like nine seconds, 100 meters, you, Usain Bolt, 9.58 seconds. History's world record, the fastest man ever and current record holder, except for that Jimmy John's guy, you know, that can bing bong, and he's there from the time you order that sandwich, but uh, they don't allow that as an Olympic event yet. But Jimmy John's is lobbying for it. 12 seconds can make the difference between life and death and can drag on. Yeah, 12 seconds of a disruption can drag on and on and on, you know. Shh, it's my mom. It's okay. 12 seconds can fly by. 
12 minutes can speed by. The first commercial break during your favorite show or the, the last quarter of a game. The last 12 minutes of a football game. Sometimes I'll tell Joan, she'll say, how, how long? I'll say, just, you know, to me, 12 minutes left in the game, you know, it's just the last quarter. This thing's wrapping up. To Joan, it's like, wow, is that game ever going to end? I know I've told her there's just a couple minutes left, and she'll say, oh, so an hour? You know, <laughs> depends, timeouts, overtime, I guess, could happen. But how can those 12 minutes fly by for me and someone right next to me, the clock is stuck? King, 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 is this game ever going to end? And there's potential overtime invented by Satan. You know, <laughs> this time is not moving. 12 hours waiting in a delivery room can be brutal. Imagine some people have gone a lot further, but imagine labor pains, you know, intense pains for 12 hours. It's even harder on us guys. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Seriously, I had cramps once. Yeah, did you have them once, Dennis? Yeah. That was the worst four seconds of my life. So I understand. 12 days, opening the Christmas presents for a kid, that's way, way too long. 12 days of Christmas, there were giant presents under the tree with my name on them. And I have to wait 12 days? This is cruel and unusual punishment for a little kid. But if you work a hard job and you got demanding hours and you get 12 days off from work, right? Uh, you know, gone. You know, gone. What happened? I, I feel like it was a day. Where, where did that time go? And 12 years might feel like an eternity to an ADD kid in, in first grade math. 12 more years of school, he's thinking, until I graduate. But I blink my eyes and seen four of my five kids start school and graduate, and it seems like, wow, just a breath. As we read the rest of Luke chapter 8 today, and if you didn't hear last week's message on the first part of uh, Luke chapter 8, I think it would be worth you going to falls.church slash listen. Falls.church slash listen. Uh, the title was Naked Before the Lord. So um, I think you'll want to hear about that. So, uh, but it was a really good message. And Maddie and Jim were working with toddlers and said they have the speaker with the message going on. And I said, can you guys even hear what's going on there? She said, yeah, we can hear the message loud and clear. And then the, the little kids, every now and then, one would go, naked? <laughs> like they would just hear my voice in the background, but then they heard that word. They were like, naked? Go home and blame Pastor Lance for that. The last part of Luke chapter 8, though, there are two dynamic miracles about to unfold, and both that unfold over the same 12-year span. For one, the 12 years was too soon. And for the other, time was cruelly slow and painful. Now Jesus had returned. A crowd welcomed him. 
for they had, were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. For a dad with a, with a, with a dying child, Jesus couldn't get there soon enough. Her life was literally ebbing away. Twelve years, too soon for a little girl to die. And Jesus, the one who can save her, is near their home. And now he's on his way. But will he make it in time? Have you ever had to race to the hospital? I remember clear as day when I was a kid fell compound fracture, I think they call it, uh, right here, I, I snapped both bones, right? And so my arm turned 90 degrees right here. It was like this, this, and then I could touch my chin. And uh, I fell off a garage. <laughs> I don't want to tell you the story of that because you reap what you sow. But the point was, after the fall, people had felt sorry for me. And I woke up, my sister was crying because I was knocked out for a few seconds, and my sister was screaming. And I, I looked up at her, and she was screaming. Ah! And then I looked down at my arm, and I went, ah! I joined her because I was like 10, you know. It was really freaky. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I did. And so my mom... Um, Single mom raising six kids, right? We, we run home. My mom's home. And it was just a couple. It was in the alley, kind of a garage separated from the houses, just a little ways. So we, we go run at home. And my mom doesn't drive. Single mom, six kids. My mom uh, at that time, and, and hardly, you know, my, most of my childhood, she didn't drive. So, and didn't want to wait for an ambulance kind of thing, right? So the neighbor, I, I just remember he was a police officer and he had a German shepherd. And we were scared of that dog. I mean, that dog was mean. And so I didn't go near their, their little place. But we were in a duplex, and they were on the other half. So by location, I was you – know, anyway. So we jump in this guy's car, and we're, we're, driving to the, we're driving to the hospital. And I'm just kind of looking at my arm, and I'm just crying. And, and he goes, well, if you were my kid, I would just grab your arm and snap it straight. I was like, <laughs> and he goes, because that's what they're going to do when you get to the hospital. No, like, <laughs> my mom says, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And I was at the hospital, kind of forgot about what he said. And the nurse said, hey, blah, 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 blah. And I went like this. And I, went, and I was like, oh, that looks better. That was a long 12 minutes of my life looking at that arm. And I remember 20 22 and a half years ago, waiting five minutes for them to start my little girl, Lana's breathing. You know, she was born foot, feet first, footling breech, and 
she had gotten meconium fluid in her lungs. They didn't want to start her lungs yet, so they were trying to, like, get everything out of there. And minutes were going by, and she was blue, purple, not breathing, not one minute after her birth, not two minutes, not three minutes, not four minutes, five of the longest minutes of my life. For one, in Luke chapter 8, there wasn't enough time. Life was too short, 12 short years with my little girl. For the other woman, those same 12 years, she's sick. Can't stop bleeding. 12 years of seeing doctors and praying to the Lord. And, and if you know anything about Jewish culture, when you're, you're bleeding, you're unclean. You have to announce you're unclean. You can't worship in the synagogue unclean. So you're, you're, you're away from the community. And you've almost lost hope. Uh, and you hear and you see some of the miracles that Jesus is doing. And you hear of his power and light of hope shoots through the darkness of your life. Hope, maybe, maybe there's a chance. I've had friends with years of back pain and chronic illness that just, you know, they're trying to trust God. They're praying for healing. They're trying to walk in faith. They're trying to learn life lessons about the pain. But month after month and year after year and, and the ability to walk in, in, the, in the victory and celebrate the Lord, man, it's, it's difficult to Ignore the pain, and sometimes that hope can start to dissipate, and the human spirit can start to lose hope. Two desperate people, one with money and power, helpless to save his only child, his little angel, the princess of his estate, the heiress of his legacy. And she doesn't have long to live, but please, Jesus. And the other, her illness had bankrupted her, isolated her from her people, and nearly broke her will to live. And Jesus is the answer for both. Will you stand with me? Lord, as we just continue to give this day in worship to you and, and, and look at your life, this this story of your impact and the reality of what you can do to, in a moment and uh, how you can redeem uh, someone's long-suffering. We can't understand, God, the dimensions that you work in, but we, do, uh, we are captured by your glory, your goodness, your power. And we want to reflect on that. We want to give you the glory you do here in this place as the people of God. In Jesus' name. Joan's parents are going to be celebrating their 55th, 55th uh, anniversary soon next year. And Joan was just saying, one thing I want to do for my folks is get some people together from their life and... Um, have them share a few things uh, that 
Joan said, it's kind of sad. She said to me that sometimes we only hear the good things. We don't even get to hear the good things because it's at our funeral. And uh, it kind of got me thinking about uh, Joan's birthday today and and say happy birthday. But I asked a couple of her friends just to take a minute because I know Joan doesn't want a big ta-da and a big show and we're not going to have cake and food and all that stuff. We're going to Qdoba for lunch afterwards and I'm paying for everybody. But I wanted Elaine to come for just a couple moments and then Beth's going to share and then I'm going to finish this message. So, Hi, I'm Elaine Rustand. And I've had the privilege of being Joan's friend for a really long time because we met when she came to ninth grade at West Lyon. Joan has a very unusual combination of characteristics. She's Dutch. That says a lot. She has this farm girl, kind of a can-do attitude that only comes from working with pigs. She has a no-nonsense business head, but yet somehow she works really well with people all day long. She's the mom of five kids, but she still opens her home and her heart to lots of other people. She's a pastor's wife. She's Lance's wife. But most importantly, what I see in Joan is that she has a vibrant relationship with Christ our Lord. Last year, she gave me a book that was a memoir of a South African woman, and it was called Wild Hope. Joan was really excited about this woman's story. Joan, that book sat on my nightstand for a really, really long time, like for almost a year, and I finally finished reading it last month, and I couldn't put it down. The wild hope that was talked about in that book was not just a dreamy, cross-your-fingers kind of hope. Wild hope is a sure understanding that God will work in all our life events to forward his kingdom and to bring glory to his name. And I see that kind of wild hope in Joan. She has a wild hope for what God will do in her husband. She has a wild hope for what God will do in her children's lives. She has a wild hope for what God is going to do in her workplace. She has a wild hope for what God is going to do in this church. She has a wild hope for the world. Joan can only have this kind of wild hope because she has a passion for God's word. She reads God's word. She teaches God's word. She prays God's word. She even memorizes long passages of God's word. There are difficult and painful things in Joan's life. But wild hope is there. Now, this wild hope does not provide a quick fix to all of these circumstances. But it has changed Joan. It makes her a more godly woman. It makes her cling to the promises of God. With the knowledge that God is at work, he is in control, and he loves her passionately. I am thankful for Joan's friendship, her life example, her prayers, her encouragement to me. And my hope for all of you is that you will also follow Christ and come to experience the wild hope that is found in him. Happy birthday, Joan. Well, you know, in a, we live in a time when things just don't last. We're told they won't last. We're told that 50% um, of marriages in this country will end in divorce, and we see relationships fall apart. 
with at people at work, with people in our families, but I'm here to celebrate our relationship and to celebrate a person who loved me before I even knew what love looked like. See, Joan came into my life as a freshman in high school along with Elaine and Julene, the four of us. And see, I wasn't following Jesus at that time. I was a rebellious teenager who thought she knew better than everyone else. But Joan showed me love and accepted me. I remember high school, the girls were just relentlessly making fun of me. And one day I picked up my lunch tray and I moved over to the table that had Joan, Elaine, and Julene at it. And I put down my lunch tray and I stayed there ever since because there was unconditional love at that table. And it was through Joan and Elaine and Julene those people who showed me Christ's love, that my senior year I accepted Jesus Christ. Joan, you have been an incredible rock to me. An incredible rock. You have showed me what faith in Jesus looks like with skin on. You have been the arms, the legs, the mouth, and the ears of Jesus to me. I think of that verse in Proverbs 27, 17, where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other. Joan has been that for me. And she has showed me that although life may bend us, it will not break us when our roots are anchored deep in Jesus Christ. So thank you. I love you. Happy birthday. Because when she's mad, that rock that they were talking about. And, it, yeah. Yeah. Amen and amen. I'm thankful for a godly wife and. And I know that sometimes being a pastor, you hear more things um, and you uh, and Joan is often have just have to go through things because. And so I just wanted to take a moment today and honor her. So 12 seconds, 12 minutes, 12 years, and God works through them all. And God's timing is Perfect for both. But God's timing rarely matches up to our timing, does it? For Jarius, 12 years of raising your child, and it looks like in 12 minutes she, she could be gone. And Jesus is revealing again and again a bigger picture that Jesus didn't need more miracles to prove himself. His miracles we're painting a bigger picture, a bigger narrative of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, Lord and God in the flesh. 
And for the woman, 12 years of shame, 12 years of searching for answers, 12 years of bleeding seemed to spell 12 years of feeling depleted. I can't imagine, you know, what, what that would do phys- physiologically to you. She must have been wore out. And, and I think Jesus stops everything. And the crowd's pressing in all around him, it says, because something bigger than healing just happened. She believed in him. See, the crowds, it says, and was pressing in around them. Jesus this is walking in the flesh, and people uh, earlier, two chapters before, it said that there were a lot of people that were just, all they had to do was touch, his, touch his, his clothing, and they were getting healed. Power was coming out of him. And here the crowds are pressing to the point where their lives are in danger, you know, like a mob, a crowd, like a, a European soccer match, you know, something intense like you wouldn't experience unless you're the Beatles of the 1960s or Elvis in the 1970s or Michael Jackson of the 1980s. Oh, ow. You two of the 90s, Justin Bieber of the 2000s or the Black Eyed Peas. And I'm not sure. I, I just looked at the history's greatest bands, but I just couldn't find Mini Kiss in there at all. Like, have you seen those guys, the little guys that do the kiss? I don't know. They should have made the list. Maybe they made the short list. <laughs> okay. But Jesus is so popular, and the crowds are pressing in around him. His public ministry, people are pushing and trying to get as close to him, and, and, and I'm sure they're just getting bounced around. It's a dangerous, potential mob environment. And Jesus returned. The crowd welcomed him. They, all, they were all expecting him, and a man named Jairus, synagogue leader, fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying, and Jesus was on his way. The crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. And when, when they all denied it, nobody's confessing, nobody's at, you know, they must have been all going like, well, who touched you? A bunch of us are bumping in. Everybody's trying to touch you. What do you mean, who touched you? Out of all these people, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Peter's like, Lord, people are all around you. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands are trying to touch you, and, and no one meant any harm by it, but... But she tried to stay in the shadow. She didn't want to be recognized. Seems like if she had a bleeding issue, she was probably supposed to announce herself unclean, that she was probably hiding in the shadows there and trying to reach around from a corner or just to be, be able to, without anybody knowing, if she could just get near Jesus, she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, sneak in there and just, just touch it, I know I'll be healed. Maybe it was shame that she'd been experiencing or desperation. But Jesus felt, Jesus knew what happened. And it says, verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me and I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
when every minute seemed to count, Jesus stops and says, wait a minute, something happened. A simple, I mean, yes, she was healed, celebrate, move on, but here's a teachable moment. And although Jairus is under the pressure of, of that 12 seconds or 12 minutes is lasting a lifetime moment, wanting Jesus to rescue his dying daughter, she's hanging by life and limb. Jesus says, wait, there's a teachable moment here. There's something bigger going on. This woman, kind of keeping a low profile, simply believes that if she touches Jesus, she will be healed. And Jesus wants to make sure that it isn't missed, that it seems the point isn't just her healing here, but the faith that she has in the healer, the recognition of who Jesus is, not just what they can get from him. And lots of people were pressing against him, too many to count. Too many to know who had just touched him by faith. But Jesus knew one person touched him differently than all the others. One person believed there's, there's something amazing about this man. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's not just a Savior of Israel. He is the Savior, and it makes all the difference in the world to Jesus. Lots of people were pressing against him, but he knew somebody pressed in and touched him by faith, believing in who he was. People surrounded Jesus. And like a star, they were reaching out to touch him. But someone touched by faith, and he felt the difference and wanted to make sure everybody there knew there's a teachable moment here. And I'm sure the Jews figured that she was a sinner cursed by God because of her disease. Surely she had shown herself to doctor after doctor, presented herself to 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 man of God, to priest after priest, and everyone she knows knew that she's considered unclean, not a lit near the synagogue, that this is not natural, that she's, she's out of options, but she's about to touch Jesus and instantly go from shame to worship. She was probably taunted as an example of God's wrath on her, but now a testimony of God's blessing, his healing, and his deliverance. And even though this doesn't seem like a long delay, just to stop and talk to this woman for a few moments, a news flash arrives in those few moments. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. So mom and Jairus went in. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. You know what that means? Like, she, she, she died, and they knew to pay the respects, like, they put on a veil probably. They probably uh, started praying and singing songs and dedicating kind of like this, this moment to honor this person. And meanwhile, they're, they're mourning. They're, they're showing their, 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 uh, their heart for this family and, and calling out to God. And, and Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. 
They've already started like the funeral for the Jews. It was like a week long of activities. And this would have been one that instantly started to show your respect to the family, to, to grieve with them. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. They go from, <laughs> you know, like, doesn't that show you something like about them? Like who these people are, like they're going through the religious motion. It's a motion like we just have to do this. That's a, we're, we're, a, we're a morning, we're a church. We kind of cry at funerals. That's what we do to show our respect. And then the next moment they transition just like that to laughing at him and mocking And sometimes you have to step away from the doubters. They were going through the motions and calling on the name of the Lord, but they didn't even realize that the Lord himself has arrived and that even death is not beyond his touch. And he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And Jesus then told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. <laughs> Can you imagine this? Like uh, this scenario. And as it ends, she was dead. They already started the funeral. They were all weeping for her. And Jesus finally gets there, grabs her by the hand, raises her from the dead. And why? <laughs> she's alive. You were dead. They're all hugging everything. Yeah. And don't mention it to anyone. Wait a minute. Like, the funeral mourners were already gathered. It already had gone through their social media. Like, one person told one person, and it spread throughout their community, and they were already gathering. Everybody already knew that this wealthy, powerful, spiritual man, it says he was a synagogue leader, so he was a, he was a, he was a man of God among men of God. And, and, and one little girl, and she's gone, and I'm sure they were all like, this is a really terrible thing that's happened. And everybody, did you hear? Shh, shh, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Shh, it's all around. And now she was dead. Everybody knew she was dead, and now she's alive. Wait, but don't say anything to anyone. The whole funeral week has started. The mourners were already weeping for the family, and now the little girl was eating and heading back to maybe the playground. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And they wouldn't be able to keep it quiet if they wanted to. But Jesus and the bleeding woman and Jairus all collide in this 12 years of drama. They both came to Jesus with faith to believe that he could where no one else could. And both of them, when they stand before the Lord, and actually they don't stand before him. The scripture says they both fell. If you read both, they both fell humbly before the Lord. And I think the reason Jesus said don't tell anyone about this miracle is the bigger story that's unfolding that the Jews said the Shema almost, it was like the first prayer that they memorized, the first Hebrew prayer that they memorized from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim Elohai Echad. Echad, you got to spit a little bit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And Jesus shows up 
these people probably prayed that prayer that morning, and Jesus shows up and he says, I am that one. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one, and I am him. God's son has arrived. They believed, they fell at his feet and worshiped Jesus, and he answered their prayers in God's perfect timing. What if the greatest miracles from Jesus might be the prayers that God, that you never saw him answer on earth? Because he knew the greater things that awaited those who suffer in his name that understand the truth of sorrow lasts for a day because if a thousand years in heaven is like a day on earth or a thousand years on earth are like a day in heaven, what God's saying by that scripture is that it's time is completely different, that God is on this continuum and operating in all these other levels. And I think of that often because somebody was talking about one of their relatives and my great, 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 great grandfather. And I was I was giving him a hard time and said, yeah, yeah, we have the same, we're both related, you know. Like both of our, our great, great, great grandpa, his name was Adam. And our great, great, great grandma, her name was Eve. And I've always felt in light of eternity, like we always think like everything's moving so slow. But what if Adam and Eve just arrived? In, in compared to eternity, you know, like 6,000 years of human history, that's like that. Like Adam and Eve are going there, and boom. And we're what if we're stepping in, and all the people we think have left us, uh, you know, and we're going to see them someday in heaven. What if we're all just arriving in the same microsecond of time, like, you know, like. And what if the greatest miracles are those that haven't unfolded yet because the scripture says sorrow lasts for a day, but joy comes in the morning. It's a powerful truth to believers in Jesus that our life is a whisper. This is the day. This is this life we're living isn't supposed to be the the crescendo of the joy. It's not the crescendo of what we experience. It's not the crescendo of the goodness of God. Because joy is coming after this life is over. Uh, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine, God's going to do that much more for us. And maybe your temporary discomfort might lead to an eternal reward, friend. I would say don't trade it for a bowl of soup. Don't trade what God, an inheritance, what God could give you for, for a fleeting little thing to make your, your day or your, your minute a little easier. Because you got tired of waiting. Because you thought 12 years was too long. Will you stand with me? Thirty years ago, I was at a funeral. And I don't remember. Sometimes people ask me, what did you speak on last week? And I have to think about it. Like, and, uh. But 30 years ago, I was at a funeral as a young guy, and I, I remember something the pastor said. He said, life at its very longest, because we were saying goodbye to a little baby, that stillborn baby. Mom and dad held her, f delivered her, waited. She was overdue, and 
and he said, life at its very longest is too short. And life at its very shortest is long enough to know the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus. Time. But you're here today because God ordained, again, another opportunity for you to know the goodness of God. I can't explain all why something happens to this one and why not that one, but you're here today because the love of the Lord Jesus and him wanting you to know that he is the one, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And will you bow your heads with me in this last, uh, just one more minute here as we gathered. And if you're here today and, man, you haven't seen, the, you haven't experienced it. You don't have that, that joy. You, you haven't, maybe it's time that you, so to speak, fell before the Lord. Maybe it's time that you put your belief into action. That you, you called on his name, that you pursue him. Maybe you've been leaving it in God's court. But friends, God's done it all. He's, done, he's created it. He sent his son. He did all the work. He's waiting for you. This is not for God to have to perform for you. God's not your puppet master. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's why Jesus said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Paul said in Philippians. Every one of you, if you don't do it on this earth, when this life's over, you will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and you will confess that he was the one. He is the truth and the life that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus. And please don't let that be a moment for your own sake. Please, for your sake, don't let that be a moment of despair as, and, and judgment against you. But let the Lord Jesus and his goodness cover over your life forgive you of all your sins, bring you into right relationship, bring you into the hope of Jesus. Wow. That's my prayer over you. Father, we thank you for your word today, for the example of Jesus, for the miracle power. <sighs> Lord, help us to continue to put our hope and trust in you. No matter what life deals us, help us, God, to continue to fall before you Call on your name. Give you the praise you're due because you are awesome. In Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. All the church radically loud said, <laughs>